Okay, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, for another beautiful day to fellowship together with you through the study of your word. Thank you for sending your Son to purchase our lives for making eternity with you a thing to behold even today. Thank you for making the way easy, for it is by faith alone and Christ alone that we are indeed saved. Thank you for convicting each of us of what that actually means, Father, and for pronouncing to us through the ministry of your precious Holy Spirit that we must lose our lives to gain yours. Father, we pray for those struggling this day with faith, with life, with love even, and that they humble themselves under your mighty hand, receiving your grace and being set free. We ask that you bless this morning's message. May it be edifying for our souls, and may it challenge each of us as we hear your calling upon our lives. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name, by the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, this morning's message title, obviously, is Continuation, Part 115 of the Gospel, Salvation, and Sanctification. I'll begin this way, and it's something that the Spirit's been uh, pressing upon us as a congregation, really from the very beginning of this phenomenal series, that sanctification, being made holy, being set apart for God's purposes, is a process not just a one-time event. And this is especially true from man's perspective. If you recall our working framework, we had sort of two columns. God's perspective, he's not bound by the construct of time. And man's perspective, which we understand most things under the construct or the premise of time. And so when we say that sanctification is a process, not just a one-time event, This is especially true from our or man's perspective. However, as the Spirit's been teaching us for quite some time now, it's a good exercise to consider God's perspective on sanctification. We're not God, so we don't understand everything that He understands. I mean, Isaiah 55, 8 says, His ways are not our ways, His thoughts are not our thoughts. And so, His, and, and He's fundamentally superior to us. So we're not going to understand everything that an infinite uh, holy mind such as God's understands. However, he does give us the faculties, if you would, to understand what he deems appropriate, enough at least to gain some perspective of his on sanctification. And by doing that very thing, we're able to relate to the person of our Father in heaven, the one who's ordained this grand plan we call life. So in fact, when we do such a thing, we realize the following, again, so much on perspective as of late. To God, sanctification is a reality, not something on a timeline. To God, sanctification is a reality, not something on a timeline. This is why from our perspective, we might rightly say to be saved is to be sanctified and to be sanctified is to be saved. Again, 
To God, sanctification is a reality, not something on a timeline. This is why, from our perspective, we might rightly say, to be saved is to be sanctified. To be sanctified is to be saved. For example, in 2 Thessalonians 2, 13-14. Go there with me, please. 2 Thessalonians 2, 13. Second Thessalonians 2.13. This is the perspective he's trying to give us. Uh, don't be frustrated, please, that you don't understand all of it because so much of this, all our Hebrews 11, especially the front end, is about faith. And faith is in things we don't see, maybe not even fully understand, and that's perfectly okay, and that's legitimate as far as God is concerned. However, he does give us Scripture like this, 2 Thessalonians 2.13 But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. And that was that phrase that we focused a little bit on Thursday up here on the board, through sanctification by the Spirit. And I'm borrowing from McDonald here. Here we have the Holy Spirit's pre-conversion work. He sets individuals apart to God from the world, convicts them of sin, and points them to Christ. And so from our perspective, there really is a process that occurs. We might call it, frankly, conversion. There's a conversion process. Uh, and we'll talk about you know, the way that God cultivates our soil over time in, the, in a moment here. Someone has well said, if it had not been for Christ, there would be no feast. If it had not been for the Holy Spirit, there would have been no guests. And that's an astute thing to say, uh, because God the Holy Spirit does uh, and is primarily responsible for sanctification. But as we're seeing here, to some, there might be a little bit of a confusion because a lot of people learn, well, I'm saved and then I'm sanctified. But what does it say here? It says that salvation is through sanctification. That means there's a ministry going on even before a person is saved to sort of move someone in that direction so that they ha are in that state of humility to be saved, to receive, that their soil, in other words, is ripe for sowing the seed we call the gospel. Again, verse 13, But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, Beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. It was for this He called you through our gospel, that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do not forget where we've been. We're still on the concept of ultimate sanctification, speaking of gaining the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have that completed yet in us, but ultimately, ultimate sanctification says uh, that we will. What we might rightly say then in view of God's precious perspective on salvation and sanctification is this up here on the board. Salvation is a function of sanctification. Sanctification is a function of salvation. Welcome to the supernatural. Uh, the Spirit's been saying from this pulpit for a very long time, let's not, and it's funny because we were talking about this yesterday in the hospital, let's not put God in a box, okay? 
let's not try to control the God, the infinite God of the universe by setting up doctrines that push him out of our lives, that sort of put a little nice little tidy box around him so that we can, let's face it, in futility, try to control God. Let's not do that thing. And so you might be scratching your head saying, wait a minute, I thought sanctification was after salvation, blah, 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 blah. Welcome to the supernatural. Salvation is a function of sanctification. Sanctification is a function of salvation. To God, these are one and the same things. If you're saved, you're sanctified. If you're sanctified, you're saved. So says Scripture. And that may not make sense to a person who's tied to a worldly timeline or the construct of time. But again, I say, welcome to the supernatural. I really don't know how to explain these two concepts perfectly as a man. So what the Spirit's comforted me with is the same thing He's comforting you all with right now up here on the board. Very simply, folks, leave the supernatural things up to faith. If it says it in Scripture and it's clearly stated theology, it doesn't matter if you, quote, get it. It doesn't matter if it appeals to your human rationalizations. It doesn't matter. What matters is that he gave you that thing as truth. And you have to swallow it whole and say, I don't understand it, Father. Maybe you pray on it. Maybe you pray for a little more enlightenment on it. I don't know. But there are lots of things that I don't fully understand how they work out, uh, even in my own soul. And what I've learned over the years is to accept it on faith and say, that's okay. If he wanted me to understand that thing, then he would have told me. So as Scripture says up here on the board, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, For we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. Therefore, leave the supernatural things up to faith. Now, with all of this talk about the Great Commission, this has been such a heavy emphasis in our lessons the past few weeks, and our calling even regarding it. We know Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Go out and evangelize. Go out and make disciples in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So with all this talk about the Great Commission and our calling regarding it, the Spirit has also given us the following to chew on. Up here in the board, more perspective. A human being has never saved or sanctified anyone, not themselves nor others. That is God's work. A human being has never saved or sanctified anyone not themselves nor others. That is God's work. Up here on the board, 1 Corinthians 3.7, as a friendly reminder, so then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. This was Paul working out a situation where people were making, you know, Corinthians, right, just like Americans, were making an issue out of the teachers. Oh, I'm from Paul. Oh, I'm from Apollos. Big deal. Big deal. It's God who causes the growth. So no one saves or sanctifies. We just do a job. We have a special commission on our lives as shepherds, let's say. But we're just sowing seed. We're just like the farmer who walks through the field and you know, throws seed out there. But it's God who cultivates the soil uh, and makes that thing, that supernatural growth occur. So I was reflecting on this, and I invite you to do the same. When you think about the Great Commission through this lens, that it's God's good work. Doesn't it take the, quote, pressure off of us 
and when we try to force someone to be saved, don't we have a natural inclination, especially when we love someone, to see them saved, to know what we know about Jesus Christ and his work for us? Don't we want, it's almost like this pressure, like, oh man, I've got to get Uncle Jimmy saved. He's, he's getting old, he's getting weird. I've, I've got to just maybe evangelize him harder. What? How do you evangelize someone harder, <laughs> right? Well, you can't do that. The, the, the idea is that you give them the word of Christ. That's what Scripture says. That's what we're responsible for. Just sow the seed. God causes all the growth. And so when you think about the Great Commission, even though it is the calling in our lives, the Great Commission doesn't say that we're the ones who save or sanctify. The Great Commission says just go out and make disciples. Go out and spread the, sow the seed and do it accurately. So I was thinking about that, you know, from the manhood's perspective. It takes a lot of pressure off of us to try to force people to be saved. It seems obvious that many people are trying to do just that. Trying to save people. Just, just remember the following truths about saving faith up here on the board. A person is never saved by simply saying they are. A person is never saved by joining a church. A person is never saved living a, quote, good life. A person is never saved by being baptized or even baptizing their kids. And the list goes on. These are all things that might occur after salvation, but these are not the things that save. Saving faith is a grace gift from God. I can get a parrot to say, I'm saved. Right? I might be able to get a monkey to write it on a chalkboard. I don't know how intelligent they are, truly. I mean, I guess if I could, they could. Todd, that wasn't that funny. So, that's all the Spirit's saying, right? He's saying we're not going to, in our human abilities, save anyone, including ourselves. God's work. So, the point the Spirit's making here is that we, all being evangelists to some degree, maybe not with the spiritual gifts, say, of Scott, but we evangelists must relax when it comes to our angst towards others being potentially unsaved. I mean, who can't relate to that right now? Who doesn't have someone that they love in their lives that isn't saved, that you suspect, you don't know for sure, I get it, that you suspect might not be saved, or they, they just flat out say, I could care less about Jesus Christ. Get out of my way. I don't know. There's a continuum there, right, of soils. Who doesn't have that? Well, there's a certain thing we can do to ourselves because we love them. Uh, but what the Spirit's saying is you could love them like no other, and you'll never save them. So just you have to relax. I promise God, Holy Spirit is God. I promise to properly evangelize them myself before they die. I promise you that. And that is in Scripture. And so if a person, after being evangelized by God the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit still says no, well, then it doesn't matter what you did or didn't do. Do you understand? You have a separate calling on your life to spread the seed. And after that, well, that's between them and the Lord, really. I was thinking about it. While mothers, you know, 
quote, give birth to the physical body, they will never cause their child to be born again. Go to John 3.3. 3. John 3.3. 3. I think this is especially difficult. And, you know, feel free to throw tomatoes at me, mothers out there. But in my experience, it seems especially difficult for mothers to even contemplate uh, as a saved individual that their children might not be saved. And so they just try so hard. It's almost as if, like Paul says, you know, in like um, uh, Romans 1, 9 to 3, uh, I wish I could just be accursed myself because I love my brethren so much. Well, imagine a mother with a child. Jesus, you know, can I trade places? I'll, I'll go to the lake of fire so that my son or daughter can be saved. doesn't work. doesn't work. It reminds me of, uh, you know, Abraham's bosom, Lazarus, and the rich man. And the rich man and, uh, was on the wrong side of the fence, so to speak, in Hades. And he said, can you please just, you know, resurrect someone and go tell my brothers that I love about this going on? And what was concluded, that if they didn't listen to the prophets who spoke about Jesus Christ, then they're not going to listen to a resurrected person even. So no matter how much we want to, we'd like to be able to say we could, you know, make someone born again, we can't. And for whatever reason, I just think there's something there with mothers, a very difficult thing. John 3, 3, understandably, Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and born. be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and even of, you might translate and as even of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Those are Jesus' words up here on the board just to highlight that a little bit more. Born of water and even the Spirit refers to the spiritual cleansing, purification man undergoes at salvation. This is a supernatural act, not an evangelist. Only God can save and sanctify, so learn to leave that onus on Him. Ultimately, He's the one who saves He's the one who sanctifies. It doesn't matter how much you love Uncle Jimmy or your children or whoever that thing, your spouse, whoever that person is. It does not matter. You'll never save them. But what we do rest in, so that we're not you know, hypertensed over the issue of someone's salvation, is we should know that God promises to evangelize everyone. Otherwise, he would be an unjust God to sentence anyone to the lake of fire. Verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And just to highlight on that, again, points of review from Thursday on John 3, 8, you don't have to understand everything about something to know it exists and that it affects people. I mean, that's the essence of faith in a practical way. Just like you have faith in the effect of wind, you have faith that the Spirit affects us. You may not understand. I mean, how can you possibly understand, even in your own life, His ministry? 
How did he get you to start thinking the way you think now versus the way you thought 5, 10, 20 years ago? How did that happen? Well, he used the word to sanctify you. And that was his good ministry in your life. And now looking back, of course, your faith is amplified because you know that his promises are true. At the time, you might not have completely understood it, but you get greater and greater glimpses in your maturity. So one of the things that helps us with the potential angst in evangelizing is the so-called parable of parables, the parable of the soils. Go to Matthew 13, 3. Matthew 13, 3. I completely um, believe that he gave this to his disciples as a form of encouragement to prepare their soils even as saved individuals. Furthermore, so that when they take on or took on this great commission uh, like we do, we understand that we're not always going to be successful, that seed is going to be spread that ends up dying out, that doesn't ever bear fruit. And we know by other scripture that a tree can only bear fruit after its kind, and a tree will bear fruit after its kind. So look at Matthew 13, 3. This is the parable of the soils. And he spoke many things of them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came, up, came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil, and immediately sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And then others fell on the good soil. And this is where we find believers. Others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. You see three different instances of fruit production, but all production is in view. Hundred, sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. But here's the point, the subtle point up here on the board that the Spirit wanted us to focus on regarding the parable of the soils. Only God knows the condition of a person's soil. You might be sowing seed on an unconditioned soil or a soil that has other worries uh, that still is not humbled yet enough to follow Christ. They may show a little bit of um, exuberance for a while. They may be excited about it for a while. They may even come to church for a while. And then they just kind of fade away. You say, what happened? Well, it's possible they never actually believed and therefore, it was easy for them to walk away. We were talking about that yesterday, um, how God won't let us go. And one of the individuals, I don't want to say who it was, but one of the individuals was saying, you know, it's funny because my, shake, my faith has been, was rattled at one point, and then, you know, I just literally cried out to God. It was just he and I, and I knew it was he and I, and I was being kind of a crank, Nobody's ever been there? Nobody's ever been cranky with Dad? I have. And I was being a crank, and I said, that's wonderful, because that shows that at least you're just being real and humble, because God sees the heart, so you can't fake him anyways. You know? And I just cried out to him. And in that moment, he spoke to me. I had an epiphany, and my life has never been the same. And it was after decades of 
that person's soul being conditioned. Taking lessons like you all have been taking. I mean, you know, if, if, if the, the rod was in this hand, the staff was in this hand, in some ways, this arm's bigger <laughs> with this congregation because I've been wielding the rod for some time now. And those are hard lessons. But you know what's funny is those of you that have remained, you know that you can't go anywhere else. I'm not talking about a church situation. I'm talking about the truth. You know that you can't run away the truth because you know that God the Holy Spirit is in you and he will convict you every day that you're negative. And that was the lovely portion of the discussion yesterday. Is That's what this person said. They said, when I was away, I knew. I knew what I was supposed to be doing, but I was, you know, was angry, you know, the bottom lip pouting, angry. You know, how can this be this or that and the other? And God's like, okay, I'll wait. I waited for your salvation, I'll just wait on this now, I guess. Only God knows the condition of a person's soil. There are a variety of responses to sowing the gospel seed. As Jesus described, he also explained that conversion is thwarted in a multitude of ways. A multitude of ways. There's a number of devices that Satan has instituted even. I mean, remember our, our uh, lessons on instituted arrogance in the United States? There's a number of things that have been instituted in your life that are designed to keep you away from being converted. Hopefully all of you are converted, but consider those that aren't and how much is in this world that's specifically designed to keep people distracted from things other than the gospel truth. Getting so wrapped up in themselves, in their lives, in their families. That's the huge one nowadays. I don't believe in Jesus Christ, but, but I'm a good mother and a, and a good wife, and a, or I'm a good husband and a father, and I'm a good... That's great. So what you're really telling me is your family is your idol. That, that you're an idolater. And that those little rascals with the old sin nature, who if you let their old sin nature go, would cut you. That's right, I said that. Oh, not my little Johnny. Oh, really? Would leave you dry. Because that's the nature, that's the fallen nature that everyone's born with. And you, my dear parents out there, have made those little things idols. I see a lot of that, don't you? I see a lot of that. Oh, you can have Jesus. I'll have my grandkids. Oh, you can have Jesus. I'll have my kids. If you need that. Well, what you're really saying is you're an idolater. That family is more important than Jesus Christ. And as we've learned already, as we've tasted already of ultimate sanctification, those bonds, marriage, family, all those things, those aren't going to exist in heaven. There's no more procreation. We may recognize it. That's not included in Scripture. We may recognize each other. Hey, you are my kid. You are my father. You are whatever. That's fine. But the family structure as we know it? No. So what Jesus was saying in the outset of his parables, in the parable of parables, is that conversion may take some time, and it may be thwarted. So we don't know what someone's soil looks like. A saved person, though, we do know from Scripture, abundant Scripture, will bear fruit, a crop of some size, whereas an unsaved person will not. 
even though it may appear so for a time. The analogy in the parable is that a farmer must cultivate a field, plow it, hoe it, rotate it, whatever, before any seed can take full root and bear fruit. So applying the parable's lesson practically, we can say this. Some people can hear bits and pieces of the gospel truth long before they are actually saved or bear fruit. They might even hear the whole gospel and still not be saved and bear fruit. Why? I don't know. Some condition of their soil. Their soil was like the rocky soil. Their soil got choked out or whatever. That's what Jesus was saying. There's lots of ways that Satan steps in and thwarts the conversion process. So, we ask ourselves then, well, we've got this great commission on us. I'm feeling a little pressured here. Well, what do I do then? Our part in evangelizing. If we can't save anyone, what must our job be? It's easy. Speak the word of Christ to others. The Spirit will use the content of your message to convict them of the gospel. It's not your job to save or sanctify. So then what's your job? Go out and give them, sow the seed. Go give them the word of Christ. We know this from Scripture, Romans 10, 17. So faith, even saving faith, comes from hearing, and hearing by what? The word of Christ. There's no getting around it. You're not going to say to your child, I love you so much that God's just going to let you into heaven because of my love for you. Wrong. Wrong. Show me that in Scripture, and then I'll believe it. It's not in Scripture. There are a lot of mothers that are going to the lake of fire with their kids who had great adoration and love for their children. But you know what? That never transcended saving faith. That never made a child righteous. Only the blood of Christ makes righteous. Amen? So the word of Christ is really critical uh, in the Spirit's ministry. So here's the principle I gave you on Thursday, a little bit more on perspective even. You might say, well, what's the word of Christ? I mean, should I have Scripture memorized? Should I rem memorize the entire book of Romans? Should I memorize the book of John? I mean, what am I doing here? Well, I can't tell you this enough. I mean, we must show love. What's the great manifestation of all the word? Love. The greatest of these is love. Faith, hope, love, the greatest is what? Love. If I don't have love, I'm just a clanging symbol. These are all passages, right? So it's not easy to evangelize anyone nowadays. And if you just approach them with, you know, a club and a little coin with John 3, 16, hey, believe that, be saved. They're probably going to take offense. But if you show up with the love of Christ, inviting others into your own life, into a relationship, whatever the depth of that relationship might be, You've got to emanate Christ. We're being transformed into the very image of Christ. We're supposed to be ambassadors for Christ. We're supposed to be representing Christ. You, make, you might ask yourself, well, man, how long have I been representing Christ? Some of you might go, ooh, that's stung. I'm not showing really anybody love. I'm showing everybody that I'm a selfish idolater. That's what I'm showing people. I'm a sweet gal when I need to be, or a swell uh, uh, guy when I need to be. Oh, that's just great, you self-absorbed, self-centered, egocentric jerk. That doesn't save anyone. That doesn't invite anybody into Christ's heart. 
That's what he's saying. He's like, it's great that you've got the word of Christ, but you can take the word of Christ and beat people with it. The Pharisees did that. I mean, beat people into bondage. So we must show love, inviting others into our hearts. And don't get all mushy. I hope you know what I'm saying after all these lessons. Christ's heart. But the gospel truth about Jesus Christ is still necessary for salvation. We never know then how much the Spirit desires to fill in the blanks, which is why we let Him fill our mouths. Isaiah 59, 21, Mark 13, 10 to 11, Luke 21, 13 to 15. We went through those on Thursday. Let's review with Mark 13, 10. Go there. Mark 13, 10. I just want you to see it again. Just to be encouraged that, you know, it's really Him who does all the work, even in evangelizing. Mark 13, verse 10. Verse 10, the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. When they arrest you and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. And for, or for it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. We know from Scripture that if it's what we might call out as a divine appointment or His divine timing, we're where, where, where we need to be at that moment in time, then He will fill our mouths. And you might say, but I don't know Scripture that well. Yeah, but you know Christ. If you're saved, you know something about Christ. You know enough, even, to have been saved. Just share what you know then. Just don't come off as insecure about it. Say, I don't know everything yet. You know, I still go to, I'm still learning. I'm reading my Bible. I'm going to church. I'm learning. So bear with me, Mr. Unsaved Person. But what I do know is that He's changed me. He's saved me. He's given me saving faith that gives me hope and confidence of things even to come. That I do know. And that's Scripture. And that's what speaks to people. And we know that a person is not saved by ascension of mind, but by the change of heart. So again... Up here on the board, we must show love, inviting others into our hearts. But the gospel truth about Jesus Christ is still necessary for salvation. We never know how much the Spirit desires to fill in the blanks, which is why we let Him fill our mouths. In other words, we don't just show up to every divine appointment with our little script. Stop right there! And you read a little script, and it takes five minutes, and you give everybody the exact same hoopla. And the person's like, I mean, what are you doing? You're like a, like a robot here. You know, I don't, we're not relating at all as individuals. I could just read that somewhere, right? The Spirit's ministry is so intimate that we might describe it as being hands-on even. Up here on the board. The Spirit isn't a pontificating snob, nor a helper who only teaches from afar. He is within believers, working, showing, prodding, moving, convicting. God, the Holy Spirit's ministry is more like a vocational shop teacher than a college philosophy professor. What do I mean? If you've ever been in a shop class, you know that you learn a little and then you do a little. Then you go back to the board and you learn a little bit more and then you do a little bit more. You learn a little bit more and you do a little bit more. Versus a college philosophy professor just sort of talks down from some ivory tower and 
pontificates incessantly. I'm not picking on anybody. Everybody's, oh, now I'm really offended because I was a philosophy major. Get over yourself. Seriously, get over yourself. For example, that intimacy produces a confident hope in true believers up here on the board, knowing the Father. I can teach someone about eternal security, but unless God the Holy Spirit endorses it, they won't ever possess the living hope. 1 Peter 1.3, that it provides, a.k.a., or example, a professing unsaved Christian is insecure. Why is that? Because they haven't been assured by God the Holy Spirit himself. That's one of his ministries in the life of a believer. I'm going to tell you you're a child of God. I'm going to explain these things in ways that can't even be written in words. I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to fill your mouth even. Don't believe me? Then believe Scripture. Romans 8, 16. The Spirit Himself testifies with a spirit that we are children of God. He's not going to do that to an unbeliever. He's not going to say, you're a, child, you're a child of God to an unbeliever. But Scripture says, straightforward, He will with a true believer. Now, changing gears a little bit. Again, this is what happens when we have a summary lesson when we're coming out of this deep dive, this mine shaft, um, after months and months of detailed studies. Uh, we're almost done with the series, 115 parts. So just bear with it. Changing gears, but not off topic. I received a lot of feedback, positive, all positive, from Thursday's message from you all. Probably the most I've gotten in a very long time on any one message. So if you haven't listened to Thursday's message, please do yourself a favor. There's a reason why this pulpit is open three times a week. It's so that you can continue to receive grace from God. So with that said, I received a lot of positive feedback from the congregation after Thursday's message, especially the latter portion of it, since it was a bit of a heart-to-heart from shepherd to flock. I'm not interested in reiterating my thoughts, but here's the highlight reel. And I apologize, I'm a golfer. Uh, or I'm not anymore, but I used to be. Um, and so I would read this little red book by Harvey Penick. Uh, and it was just basically wisdom from an old guy that taught golf for decades. To like Ben Crenshaw, um, a couple of other famous people. Anyways, this was one of the lines. He said, when I tell you to take an aspirin, please don't take the whole bottle. So think about what the Spirit's been saying about the Great Commission. Hey, maybe it's time you go out and you know, consider what your purpose here in life is after salvation. Okay, there's your aspirin. Take this aspirin, call me in the morning. Okay, But don't do this. I'm going to have a track in one hand and the yoke in another. I'm just going to run down the street. Here you go. Maybe I'll even lift off and fly around like Superman. <laughs> let's, let's not be ridiculous. Look how long it took him to get you where you are. Just look at that for perspective. When I, take you, when I tell you to take an aspirin, please don't take the whole bottle. In the golf swing... A tiny change can make a huge difference. The natural inclination is to begin to overdo the tiny change that has brought success. You exaggerate in an effort to improve even more, and soon 
you are lost and confused again. It can happen. It can happen. So in their excitement, people tend to overshoot the Spirit's guidance a bit. And then what happens is the whole effort becomes something short-lived because of burnout, because it's not from Him, not all of it anyways, and ultimately cast off as something, just say another emotional high. I had this huge spike, and now it's over, and then it's done. Well, I don't want that for any of you. I don't want this to be this emotional high you're riding. Because you know why? Emotional highs eventually burn out. Well, I'll just read another book. Or I'll re-listen to another lesson to get me jazzed up again. Well, then you're not actually listening to the curriculum that God the Holy Spirit has set before you all. You know, like Tuesdays, Thursdays, Sundays, blogs. They're blogs? Yeah, they're blogs. You're not actually listening to what the Spirit's trying to do in your life. You're just looking for the next pill. You're just looking for the next emotional high. And nothing ever good comes from that. It looks good on the outside. It looks all shiny, the shiny new object, but stick around. See what happens a few months down the road. The spiritual life is an endurance race, not a sprint. Now, just because some have been moved by the Spirit to accelerate in certain areas of their lives doesn't mean that others are being called to do the same. And for the sake of perspective, those, quote, others may be called to accelerate in a completely different direction in a way that the first person isn't called. So it ends up becoming this myopic point of view, this egocentric, fleshly point of view. Well, I'm called this way, and I'm totally emotional about it. Why isn't everybody else doing this thing? Well, then what if, I mean, the other person would be like, whoa, 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 I'm over here doing something else. Why are you doing this thing? And then a third person comes on, why aren't you doing what I'm doing? Nobody's doing the same thing if they're actually following the Spirit. You know how I know that? Scripture, oh my God, you mean, you mean there's a variety of ministries but one Spirit? He's the one who gathers all of them up for the greater good of, the, of everyone? Yeah, that's, you know, that's 1 Corinthians 12. But, 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 but I'm so, yeah, good, good for you. But, but, but I'm so jazzed up. Good for you, honestly. But let's not infect others with your emotionalism. That's what the Spirit's saying. It's great to be jazzed up. There's nobody, quote, prouder of what's going on in some of your lives. But I don't want it to give Satan an opportunity. So from the blog I wrote on Saturday called The Last One In Syndrome, is just a blurb from it. Living for others means having the wisdom to understand the nuances here. It means always considering others in whatever we say or do. That's why over time when emotions die down, true wisdom sets in, and a person transitions from being a potential liability to the kingdom to an asset. Patience, my friends. Patience. So the additional perspective the Spirit's giving us is on patience. It's up here on the board. It's quite possible that God will convict you to wait on his timing to do this or that. We all know pretty well there are commands in the Bible that we don't do as individuals. Is anybody here willing to stand up right now and say, I literally, like the rich man, right? I literally have done every command known in the Bible. No, you know what we do? We pick our favorites, the ones that we're moved to do, 
And then we say, this is the one. And you and you and you should be following this command because I am. And it's all about me. Wrong, wrong, wrong. There are many, many commands in the Bible. Some are affected by God the Holy Spirit to hone in on that versus another one, versus another one, versus a different one. So it's quite possible that God will convict you to wait on His timing to do this or that. Do not ever ignore His convictions, whether or not it seems rational that you should be doing something, pastoring, evangelizing, blah, 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 up here on the board. And remember this, those who are teaching you, and that they are teaching a very broad range of believers. Therefore, prayer is key. I have everybody from new believer to ancient, sorry, Bill, to ancient <laughs> believer in here, right? What are you thinking? I mean, if God the Holy Spirit needs to say something to Bill or that end of the spectrum, then say it, you know, hey, the God the Holy Spirit, he's, he's either telling me that's something that I'm going to enjoy someday, but right now I can, I, I can tell that it's not for me, not at least wholly. But Bill, on the other hand, might be saying, uh-oh, you got a bullseye right here, right? He's like, boom, boom, boom. So? And then I might have to speak to a very young believer, and it has nothing to do with age, in the congregation. And others are like, oh, rolling their eyes. You have to pray. This is not about Pastor Ed. If I'm, if I'm like, you know, like I did on Thursday, I almost had to give my mother a stroke, leaned over the pulpit and screamed, evangelize! That doesn't mean everybody should be fighting for the yoke and running around in circles. Oh, 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 he said evangelize. Oh. No, I don't know exactly who he's speaking to, but I know he's had me yell for a reason. Somebody heard that and was like, yee, I just got the bullseye. But not everybody. So what he's saying is if you're the one that's, you know, between the crosshairs, um, don't bleed all over everybody else. If you're being moved to do certain something, then do it. By all means, do it. It's okay to encourage other people, but leave it at that. Right now, I'm guarding against something I'm calling, you're going to laugh, but whatever, evangelist shaming. <laughs> right? I'm serious. Evangelist shaming. When one person feels pressured by another to, quote, go out and evangelize a certain way, there are infinite ways to accomplish the Great Commission. Exclamation point. Some may have small audiences while others large. Some are public ministries, some are private. The Spirit decides. Not you, not me. 1 Corinthians 12, 5-7. Some of you may inadvertently be guilty of evangel-shaming. And I'm not questioning anyone's heart. I don't believe anyone's heart is foul on this at all. There's just a groundswell going on, which is lovely to see. But my job as a shepherd is to make sure that the groundswell doesn't drown other people out. Doesn't bury people in some form of emotionalism. So some of you may be inadvertently guilty of evangel-shaming not realizing the feedback I'm receiving from others on the topic. You don't receive the feedback I do. I'm the one who received all the feedback on Thursday. You didn't. 
I know what's going on, so you just have to trust me with what I'm doing right now. So I just need everyone to be sensitive to the issue. As I've taught not too long ago, we all have unique lives to live as unto the Lord. I've been saying this from the pulpit for a very long time. He made you just the way He wanted to make you. So be you. Go to 1 Corinthians 12, 5. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 5. Again, I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to see Scripture. And then you can let the Spirit convict you. This is one of my fundamental roles as a shepherd, protecting the sheep. That's why the analogy floats the way it does, because that's exactly what a shepherd does. He tirelessly protects the sheep. And if some of you are on one side of the fence and and some of you are on the other side of the fence right now, well, tomorrow it might be the reverse. Tomorrow I might be protecting you. So don't be childish. 1 Corinthians 12.5 And there are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For those of you trying to encourage others, let me just say this. First, there's a lot. There's a lot of encouragement coming from this vessel, from this pulpit already. A lot. Therefore, once an evangelistic type ministry is made known, let people decide for themselves. Let them decide for themselves whether the Spirit is convicting them to participate. Don't be asking people to participate every time you are personally convicted to, quote, go out a certain way. You may say, but I don't understand that. Well, then you have to think about it. You have to be more of a grown-up. You have to understand that not everybody has your little lens. Not everybody's living your little egocentric life. Not everybody's been convicted the same way you've been convicted. Maybe that person's doing something completely different than you. Maybe they've been called in such a way that technically they could turn around and say the same thing to you. Why aren't you doing what I'm doing? Just trying to encourage. So this is the main reason why I decided to post the outreach ministry schedules once rather than encourage people to keep calling or texting or doing whatever they do with things like, do you want to come out with me or us or whatever's going on? I mean, just to put it in perspective, that'd be like me. I mean, is this not a ministry? Right? There's a variety of ministries. This is a ministry. Anything out there is a ministry. Sometimes large, small audiences. How would you like it if every time we church was open, I texted or called you personally? Hey! Are you coming today? No, seriously. Wouldn't that, you'd be like, whoa, what? Wait a minute. This is making me uncomfortable. I, got, I literally have other stuff to do, but maybe you won't understand. Maybe I'll look like a jerk. No, no, now I gotta go. Now your motivation is terrible. You've been evangelist shamed. Right? Why are you not coming? Where you been? Would you like to come with me? I'm just church tonight. I know there's church tonight. It's posted. Every Tuesday and Thursday and Sunday. Yeah, but I just want to make sure. That's the same thing. It sounds silly, right? Everybody's laughing, but why are you laughing? Because a ministry is a ministry is a ministry. I would never dream of doing that. 
Why? Because I know how, I know how many of you would stumble over time. Be like, I'm just going to put him on text blocking. <laughs> it didn't come through. It's amazing. It actually never came through. <laughs> it's foul, right? Right, you, yeah, yeah, now you get it. That's what I'm saying. So just be very sensitive to how you manage your excitement. On the flip side, if you do receive encouragement this way, just remember the following up here on the board. If you're on the side that's receiving it, do not confuse encouragement from others as commandments from the Spirit. Even from me. Again, if I lean over the pulpit and scream, evangelize! Don't take, that's not a commandment from the Spirit necessarily in your life. I have one-to-many relationship with all of you. Some, like I said, some people may be touched by that a certain way, some completely a different way. You're not pastors. It's not your job to beat somebody over the head. Not that I should do that, but you know what I mean. So think about those kinds of things. Do not confuse encouragement from others as commandments from the Spirit. Conviction to, quote, do in the spiritual life must be from God the Holy Spirit, not man. While encouragement is good, Hebrews 3.13, as long as it's today, we mustn't try to mimic another's calling. So, up here on the board, please do not get in the way of the Spirit's convicting ministry in your life. In other words, someone says, hey, I'm encouraging you. Great. Not for me right now. I'm not convicted by the Spirit. I'll pray for you. End of it. On a softer note, and this is where we ended on Thursday. I can't believe how much time we've already gone through. Obviously, the Spirit has a lot to say, doesn't he? On a softer note, man feels, fails encouragement. We're imperfect animals, right, so to speak. We're imperfect creatures. Since man is flawed, he tends to overstep his boundaries when trying to encourage others in the spiritual life. Receive encouragement, but diligently sort it out with the Spirit before doing anything. That's all I can tell you as your shepherd. You know, don't judge anybody because, like I said, I don't see anything, uh, anybody with wrong motivation even. Uh, misplaced excitement maybe. You know, a little bit of, oh, well, maybe I should think a little bit more about others before doing this or that. I see some of that, but that's normal. We're imperfect encouragers, right? In our excitement, we want other people to enjoy the things we're enjoying, Right? But we have to always step back and say, all right, well, what am I doing here? And there are ways to manage it, and that's what I'm trying to help you all do. On another note, I was reflecting on this. It is my job to remind you of these things as the leader here at North Christian Church. Our North Christian Church to me is like an, a fob, like if you ever want to know the details of a fob, see Joey, he just spent a couple of times there out in Afghanistan at a forward operating base. We might consider North Christian Church as a fob, as soldiers for Christ, that this is our like home base. We might go out for long stretches, long, Joey, what do you call those, tours out there? What do you call it when you go out? A patrol. Hey, you're too old. He said patrol. You're old school. Go just I'm going with Joey. He says a patrol. <laughs> so you go out on patrols, and then you come back to the fob. 
So regardless of how you, quote, go out to evangelize people, there are a variety of ministries, remember, remember that the Bible speaks profusely and profoundly about the churches, little c. Not just the church organism. It seems like people have this weird desire to run away from churches, almost to forget where they came from, to, to lose sight of how the Spirit actually train them up, equip them, as Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 would say. They forget. Now that they got this epiphany in their lives, they've now forgotten how they got there. In other words, do not forget the foundational value of helping newly saved people into the fold. Remember this up here on the board. Relative to the local church, most converts are already addicts, addicted to the world system. I mean, think about where we're going. We're going out into a world that is completely intoxicated with the things that they know, which is the world system. So we've got a bunch of addicts, people that are addicted to the world. For years they've been intoxicated by it. Just because a person gets, quote, clean through a detox program, e.g. saved, it doesn't mean they're no longer tempted. Recovering or recovered addicts require support programs. For example, in this analogy, spiritual addicts require churches. This is one of the things that we help <laughs> recovered addicts with, right? It's great you're saved, but now you need the support of the family. Do not forsake assembling together so that we might encourage one another, right? That's not Pastor Ed, that's Scripture. As long as it's called today, encourage one another. Where does that happen? A lot of times it happens right in these four walls. Why do you think I have a couch? Why do you think we bought a couch set over there? So you guys would actually sit down together, stuff your faces, but sit down in fellowship. Why? I mean, who hasn't been encouraged on the couch in the past? If you sit on the couch and anybody's on there, it's encouraging to sit next to somebody else who has a love for Christ. Amen? So, let me encourage all of you, as you go out in your individual ways, to remember why the Spirit ordains churches like this one. Or, for that matter, why He has ordained all godly local assemblies throughout human history. There's a reason why two chapters of the final book in the Bible, Revelation 2 and 3, exist. Those are the ones about the seven churches. There's a reason why they exist, because churches have a profound uh, presence in Scripture. It's because God has ordained churches like this one for a reason. And I like to think about this church as a fob, as a home base, but, you know, people coming to and from patrols out there. I think the danger is that the pendulum swings too far, as it often does with emotional highs. People forget about the value of the local assembly. And you know who loves this more than anyone? Anybody want to take a guess? Satan. Bill said Satan. Oh, sage, ancient one. Bill. You're right, right? It's true. Satan loves it. Loves it. Would love nothing more than for this church to go... And have your help doing it. 
the local mission. Once a person is saved, their first objective is to keep on learning the Word of God. They're a very vulnerable place at that point. See? That was an amen in baby speak. Whoa! That was... Amen! They're back there like this. Once a person is saved, their first objective is to keep on learning the Word of God. Just imagine the attacks that come nowadays. If and when we evangelize someone, we ought to encourage them to attend a sound church. Not just leave them out there. Come on back to the fob. Get a little rest. Rejuvenate. Get trained up. Don't just leave them out there. Hey, good to see you. Catch you back in heaven. How do you even know that that moment that you so-called evangelized them, that they were actually saved? They could be one of the roots that had no grounding and shrivel up. And you see them a year from now, and they're, eh, it's great while it lasted, you know, thanks for the, you know, the, the, the beauty package or whatever. You don't know. You don't know. So if we evangelize someone, we ought to encourage them to attend a sound church. It doesn't even have to be this one. Find out one that's in that area even, if they can't make it here. Under a sound pastor, there's a lot of cracker jacks out there, folks such as with North Christian Church. And I said that with complete humility. Our relationship with new believers shouldn't end after the gospel presentation. It shouldn't. But I think that it makes us feel good if we go out, give somebody a tract, or go out and give them the gospel, and go out and give, give them a package, and we're like, hey, I did my work. I'm going to go watch the game. No, what has he been telling us? This whole, what the whole Bible is about relationships, personal relationships, starting with God the Father through the Son. Amen? How personal is God the Holy Spirit? He has a personal ministry in your life. He indwells you. That's how personal it is. This is about relationships, my friends, not you going out and putting a feather in your cap, doing this or that and this kind of a thing. So to all of you, I say, do not become lopsided. Do not forget where you came from. God prepared all of you for the battlefield. Consider how much work has been done inside these four walls. Do not forget where you came from. North Christian Church is like a fob, a forward operating base. Soldiers must be trained and retrained, Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, after they are enlisted. Afterwards. Up here on the board. If a soldier completes boot camp, then disappears into the field for the next 20 years, when he returns, he will be confused about the mission. So my encouragement is consider NCC as your fob, and the battlefield is out there. I already told you that, what Wikipedia has to say. So to wrap this up, this heart-to-heart, Please remember from a shepherd's perspective up here in the board. I think I'll... Hmm. Yeah, I've got a couple more points. I have to get this in. It's very, very important. To wrap up this heart-to-heart, please remember from a shepherd's perspective the following. 
One of the greatest tragedies that the Bible counsels us against is encouraging someone who's not actually being led by the Spirit to do something that others might be led by the Spirit to do. Great, great tragedy. Great, great tragedy, folks. Why? Because that person's pride might be appealed to. You may not think this way, but I do. I say, why did I get all that feedback I got on Thursday evening? This is part of why. Not the only reason, but part of why. I have to look back and say, well, why did someone go out in the first place if they weren't moved to do it? Pride. Who incited that pride? Maybe the person encouraging. I don't know. Maybe it was pressure from without. Maybe they felt pressure from without. I don't know. But I know the dynamics exist because the Bible tells us they exist. Pride is what falsely motivates people outside of God's will. It's quite easy to appeal to someone's pride, even when it comes to the spiritual life and, quote, doing things. Isn't that what fuels religions? Yeah. Well, you know, these, these uh, stand-up people over here, we've got them enshrined. You see this pew up here? Only the enshrined few can sit in that pew. Someday you'll be like them. And let's, let's list on a board somewhere all the wonderful things that they do. Look at their bacon apple pies. They're doing yard sales. They're doing this. They're doing that. They're doing all these things that you're not doing. Oh, I better get doing something then. What are you appealing to? Someone's pride. Now you've got a person who shouldn't be doing, who's never convicted by God, the Holy Spirit, to start doing things that somebody else is doing. God even knows if they're doing it for the right reasons. Sounds like a big prideful abomination. Pride is what falsely motivates people outside of God's will. And it is quite easy. And if you're, you're, you're a really not being honest, if you don't think your flesh chews up these things and is ready, at the ready always. How dare you talk about me? How dare you? I'll do it and I'll do it better than you. Look at this. Watch this. Ready? Give me 100 tracks. 16,000 homeless people were saved last Saturday because I had built a machine that literally fires tracks into their foreheads with a Snickers bar. So while they're eating the Snickers bar, they're reading the track. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Scott's got nothing on me. <laughs> Look, if these people succumb to this kind of a temptation, the result is never good. You going out and trying to be like Mike isn't ever going to do anything. I mean, Mike Jordan, that was a Nike thing. So if they succumb to the temptation... The result is never good. So motivating pride, this is bad. If a person succumbs, they do something that is wood, hay, and straw. 1 Corinthians 3.12, burned up. It's not any good. God's like, why did you do that? I didn't didn't ask you to do that. If a person refuses to do, their sense of pride takes or makes them stumble. So-and-so's doing it, and I'm not doing it, so I don't. Measure up. Now I got to do it. Well, then if I don't do it, now I got a problem. Hey, they're better than me. No, they're not. You're an idiot. 
not better than you. You don't even know if they're doing it for the right reasons. How would you know? You just focus on you. How about that? You focus on what the Spirit says to you. How about that? 1 Corinthians 8, 9, But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. One more point, and then I promise to close. The objective, then, is to never incite another's pride. Now, you may say, I have no intention of doing that. I didn't say intentionally. I said the objective is to never incite another's pride. I didn't say intentionally or unintentionally. I said the objective is to never incite another's pride. Saying things like, are you coming out with us? May seem benign and encouraging, but under the wrong circumstances, it may be appealing to someone's pride rather than their good judgment. Under the wrong circumstances, it may be appealing to someone's pride rather than their good judgment. So just remember this, and then I will close. A house divided. Satan is looking for every opportunity to divide this church. Every opportunity. He's intelligent and crafty enough to capitalize on good things even. He's really good at sowing perversion. Satan is looking for every opportunity to divide this church. It's my job to make sure even the good things don't get perverted and then become stumbling blocks for others in the church. And the next thing I know, i got this sort of separation going on. You know, the do's and the don'ts, the haves and the have-nots. This whole thing becomes, all of a sudden, it's like this separation, and I already see it. I told some of you, if you, don't believe, if you think I'm like, you know, Joe's 2020 in hindsight, I'm not. I told some of you this was going to be something coming up before it even happened. I said, watch this. This is what's going to happen. <laughs> I teach Thursday's lesson. Guess what I get? Thank you. Because I was feeling this. It's amazing what sound discernment is given to a shepherd like myself on your behalf. So be grateful. And let's not let Satan, let's not give Satan any opportunities to divide this church. This church is this beautiful thing on this hill. We're flawed. Amen? Some of you are like, not really. (laughs) You might be. (laughs) We're flawed, right? (laughs) Bill? We're flawed, right? Thank you. Oh, I know it's so hard. Yes! Mm. There goes your pride. Let's not do it. Because I'm telling you, he's lurking. Keep your hearts. If you're out there doing your thing, please do it. Keep doing it. It's magnificent. Very sensitive of how you encourage others. And if you're being encouraged the wrong way or something's not jiving with you, listen to what I just told you. It's between you and the Lord. God, the Holy Spirit, he is the Spirit of Christ, remember. His heart will convict you of the right thing to do at the right time. And he may never have you go to a park or carry a yoke or 
do these, you know, these, uh, this wonderful grace gifts thing. He may never have you do any of that thing. He may have you visiting a sick person in a hospital, like I had to yesterday. Not had to, but you know what I mean, for a couple of hours. He may have you doing what I know others of you are doing, day in and day out. I think about our elder sponsor. By the way, we still sponsor elder sponsor. DJ's the now acting president. I'm no longer the president, right? That ministry where we go out and help old people. That might be something you're doing. But we shouldn't be elder shaming people. <laughs> Why aren't you doing it? We painted a shed last month. I gave an old lady the gospel. I'm totally better than you. Come on. Do not give Satan that opportunity, please. With that said, I do have a video, right? All right, let's show the video. Anytime a heart turns from darkness to light Anytime temptation comes and someone stands to fight Anytime somebody lives to serve and not be served I know, I know, I know, I know God is on the
Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you again for this morning's message, for another wonderful time of being edified through the study of your word and for making things so very abundantly clear to us. Father, we are so very grateful and thankful to your grace and love and for the Son you sent, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the very manifestation of grace, love, and truth. Father, we pray earnestly for the salvation of the lost in this world. We know that we are unable to save even those we love the most. And so we entreat you, Father, to press them down to their knees. Your will be done, of course. May you bless all traveling from this local assembly. It's in Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.